all the time. Road construction is something we all face. None of us really, really embrace, right? <clears throat> we love the end product of road construction. You think about the cars scene where they just drive around on the smooth asphalt pavement. Uh, we do not love the inconvenience that is caused en route to the finish of the project, right? All the orange barrels or the cones, right? And so if you're familiar with the Wichita area and Kellogg Avenue, 54 Highway, right, slashes right down the middle of, uh, of Wichita, right? And, and it seemingly has been under construction for, I don't know, 30 years, I think, um, maybe 40. And so here's a picture right now of Kellogg downtown. I can't remember. I, I couldn't figure out, headed into either from the west or the, to the east. Um, but in 1963, okay, this is... Going into downtown, all right, and now this is, on, on, on your left, this is going into downtown in the, in the early 90s, okay? And then you can kind of see the beginning of the flyover, and it turns into this. This is right now, okay, on the, on the right side. They call it flyover, right? The flyover, and now all the way through Wichita, Highway 54, 400, or Kellogg is six lanes minimum all the way through, uh, basically from uh, almost from Andover all the way to Goddard. And so there's a lot that's gone on and a lot of construction, right? A lot of inconvenience over the last few decades. And because of that, a lot of small businesses really suffered because now all those cars that were stopping every two blocks are not. Right, and uh, the process of building these roads, uh, we got a little taste of that for a while. It's impressive because it seems like they move the same piece of dirt like 37 times in order to get what they're building to build. And it's hard because you have all these cars that are still needing to get to where they're going, but they're still trying to build everything um, that they're building. So it's to make it convenient for you, right? Same's true if you watch a skyscraper being built, right? It's not as inconvenient for us because that's going up. But uh, think about building a skyscraper in New York City with all the millions of people that are around you. Um, think about a cruise ship being built in a harbor, okay? There are all the intricate things that go on around that. Uh, these massive sports stadiums that are being built. There's just a lot of little things that have to go on. Massive construction projects, Okay, that are taken on, um, and there's so much that goes into it, so many little details that help create and shape and make those massive projects. The cost is important. Okay, we talked about that last week. Got to count the cost. Okay, the process, like the steps that you take to get to the end. Um, for example, what, what's gonna, we're going to have to reroute traffic here. We're going to have to do this. Who's going to be involved? Okay, Because there's going to have to be more than two or three people that are involved in order to make this work. Okay, how long is it going to take? That's what everybody wants to know. When is, this, when is it going to be over? That's all I care about. Okay? And, and when it's done, after the finished product, there's still constant little tweaks and maintenance that have to be done, just like your house, right? you got to constant, constantly, because from time to time, a pothole 
is going to show up in that brand new road, right? Six to seven times a week, a water main break is going to happen, you know, depending on where you live. <clears throat> no, I'm not throwing shade or anything, but uh, you have to paint your house every few years, right? You have to replace a window from time to time. There are things that you have to do to help maintain the very new project because it's not new anymore, right? And that continues to help mold and shape the thing that you built. So those things are important. And most likely, you feel like this project that maybe you built is really never, ever finished. Well, today, as we wrap up talking about the way of the cross and the process that Jesus uh, was taking to walk his disciples into shaping them into the followers that they were going to become. Okay, He was taking them from um, being... Uh, like these fledgling freshman-level disciples into something bigger and greater. And, and that's, what we're, that's what we want to focus on the rest of this, the, the day. That first of all, God is making us what he's called us to be. He's shaping us and making us into what he wants us to be. And then he's willing to reshape us and to polish some of the rough spots off when we get some of those kinks and potholes, right? He's willing to do that. Because we are his masterpiece, right? Created in his image. Uh, and unlike road construction uh, or building skyscrapers or these big sports stadiums, things like that, um, where, where there's all kinds of different methods that you can use to uh, build these construction projects, Disciples, or Jesus followers, are built the same. All disciples are built the same. They're built in the image of God. So we find that out. We go back to the beginning, okay? Like the very beginning. Like before there was a beginning, all right? And if you go into Genesis, you don't have to turn there because uh, I will do it for you, okay? Genesis chapter 1 like, that's the beginning, right? The very first book of the Bible in chapter 1. And uh, it was just God, literally. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to unpack all that today. Just it, the triune God. They were all there. And what were they doing? They were creating. They were making stuff, right? They were creating sun, moon, and stars. And they were creating things like day and night, and plants and animals. And uh, at the end of each day, God would look back at the things they created and were like, hmm, that's good, right? That was good. Oh, like that, that's good. And at the end of each day, um, after making, finishing making stuff and noticing it was good, he got to day six, all right? And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see that God created people... And there's, there's something new. There's something different about them. Um, and so this is what uh, verse 26 says. Then God said, let us make mankind. That's how we know there was more than just, just God. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because there was an us there. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created people in his image. You think about that for a minute? As, as God was wrapping up his week-long building project, which if you're a DIYer, um, which God was, right? He built it himself. So you're doing this week-long DIY project, which really never takes a week. It usually takes four if we do it the right way. We go back to Sutherland's eight times. That's the way it works, right? But he gets to the end of this week-long building project that we know as the world, right? That he just spoke into existence. He made humans in his own likeness to look and to be like him. He made you, he made me, to look and to be like him. That's pretty humbling, that you look like God. Meaning that in the beginning, God had you in mind. More on that in just a minute. So upon your existence, whenever that happened, right, because of whose image you were created in, you have value beyond what the world can offer. Does that make sense? You, you are God's prized creation, so much so that he created you in his image to look and be like him. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul talks about this. He refers to God, uh, he refers to Jesus' followers as God's handiwork. In some translations, he calls people, to Jesus' followers, as his masterpiece, okay? And, and a masterpiece in the art world, a masterpiece typically refers to something that has priceless value, right? A masterpiece. So thinking about uh, this masterpiece idea and what God is making us to be in, uh, as the followers uh, that he has called us to be, it made me think about some of the different types of artworks that we consider a masterpiece. So do you remember a fine arts class? Did you take fine arts class? Okay, good. Whoa. <clears throat> this is going to be rough then. Um, so let's see if you remember. Um, this is the first one. Do we, do we know what this is called? Starry Night. Who, who painted this? Vincent Van Gogh, right? Okay. Next one's really easy. That one's super simple. That's Who is that? Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, right? Okay, this is not necessarily, this next one is not really, a, it's not a painting, and it's probably not necessarily what you would call a masterpiece, but it is a huge piece of uh, a work of art, right? What is this? It's the Lincoln Memorial, right? And a guy named Daniel French created it as a sculptor, okay? And it sits by itself in this massive rotunda, okay? And then the next one is even a bigger project, right? Um, this is a huge sculpture created by Borglum, okay? And know that there's not a city of gold underneath of it, okay? Uh, much like uh, if you've seen National Treasure, you think there is, but there's not. So now, put them all up there, 
here's all these masterpieces, right? These are all considered masterpieces in the eyes of the artist, for sure. The people that created them, right? I'm pretty sure Vincent Van Gogh thought that Starry Night was a pretty great painting. He made it, right? And so um, they, they were created, and, and it started with a blank canvas, a couple of them, right? Made with a brush, right? Probably not like this one, okay? But it was made with a brush and some paint and this blank canvas, and they would work diligently, right, to, uh, the, to, to make Starry Night or to, to make the Mona Lisa that, that Leonardo, that he made, right, to mix the colors just right and to fade things in and out with this paintbrush and to be diligent about it all. And, and the end, this is the end result, right, we see and it created a masterpiece. Mount Rushmore, Lincoln Memorial, the statue that we see, both Borglum and French, they went a different route to create their, their masterpiece, right? They had to, okay? Because their, their, their uh, canvas started out as a, as a what? Massive rock. Kind of hard to paint that, you know, to paint that with a brush. Nearly 80% of Mount Rushmore was created with dynamite, right? All right, Ooh. Pretty cool. I thought that was cool. Um, but the rest, much just like the statue of President Lincoln, for, was, was just this right here. Right here. Hammer, chisel. These two things. Okay? They used a hammer and a chisel to shape and to form the artwork that we can go and see in Washington, D.C. or up in South Dakota. And they're both amazing, okay? All four things are masterpieces of art. So two different methods, right? Two different methods. There's, there's brush and paint, right? There's hammer and chisel, okay? Both significantly different in application, right? But both require precision, a steady hand, Okay, the hammer and chisel requires a steady hand on both ends. Okay, because if you miss, you're hitting the knuckle. Okay, but it takes a steady hand to get where you want to go. And both require pre uh, precise focus to get the, the paintbrush in the right spot to make sure that you're chiseling in just the right area. Both require vision. For the whole project, for the end game, right? For what the end is going to look like. Especially if you're dealing with sculpting. Because you can't put the rock back together. Okay, You can paint back over the canvas, but you can't put the rock back together. In one approach, it takes a gentler and calmer approach, right? The paint and the brush. And the other sort of has this controlled aggression so to speak, and is literally to the sharp point. And in the end, what happens? Both create this masterpiece, right? So our journey as disciples, it's really no different. And there's going to be times when it takes a brush and paint. And the gentle hand of God is going to come alongside and is going to guide and direct us, right? Right? 
in our lives will mingle and mesh with others in graceful and seamless, in a graceful and seamless manner, just like Starry Night and the swirls and all the colors and everything, right? And it feels like uh, painting where every uh, painting every where everything flows from one color to the next in these brushless strokes. Are, they're they're minimal. Okay, you can't even see where there was a brush stroke. That's how seamless it seems. That's what, um, uh, how God can shape us sometimes. That we just kind of move from one thing to the next. And then, then there's just a, there's just a hard whack on the end of a chisel. And it, it takes, it, it, it takes that sometimes. That God is going to just, Take the tool that chips away all the stuff that doesn't belong, right? The big chunks of our old life that fall away at the beginning because the point of the chisel is a little more blunt. And the more blunt, the, 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 more, the bigger the crack uh, in the rock is going to make and the, more, the bigger the chunk is going to fall off. The sharper the point, the more precise the cut is going to make. So uh, the, when the chisel gets a little smaller, the point gets a little bit sharper and it begins to take shape in the things that, uh, in the details of our life. They're just like the details in the rock. But also, the, the, sh- the, the chisel and the hammer, it can hurt a little bit more, can it? So in the book of Psalms, that's where we're going to be today, if you want to find that in your scriptures. Psalms chapter 139 um, that's going to be right in the middle of your Bible. If you uh, just close your Bible and let it flop open, most likely it'll open up to Psalms. If you just have your uh, Bible app, you just find Psalms and poke it. Um, but Psalm chapter 139. But in the book of Psalms, there's this guy named David. <clears throat> if you've ever heard of David, if you've been around church for a while, there's a guy named David, and he wrote about how God shaped him. And how God walked along the side of him, knowing that at the end of the day, he was made in the image of God. He knew he was made in his image, that he was the maker of heaven and earth, and that the maker of heaven and earth also created David to be and look like him. And so David writes this psalm for us, and it's it's at the, towards the end of his life uh, after he's experienced so many things. And so uh, we'll read just the first 14 verses, and uh, we'll kind of unpack it for a little bit. This is David writing. Remember, he's King David at this point, and he's seen a lot in his life. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day and the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So this, this passage is a great roadmap for how God is shaping us today. Sometimes with a hammer and a chisel. Sometimes with a brush and some paint. David writes, you search me, Lord. So basically he's telling me, he's telling you, you search me, Lord. He says, God knows you. He knows who you are. He's saying he knows where you are, not just like right here. He knows more than that. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows where you are physically. He knows where you are mentally, financially. He knows where you are as a family, where you are in your job. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing beyond scrolling on your phone right now while Pastor Paul talks, right? <clears throat> he knows what you're doing um, as, uh, as serving in your church. He knows what you're doing uh, at your job, whether you're doing a good job as an employee or not. He knows what you're doing as a student, whether you're doing a great job as a student or not. He knows what you're doing beyond just where you sit today. He knows how you are doing. And that's a tough one, isn't it? Because we don't like to tell people how we are doing. Yeah, we answer that question when somebody comes up and says, how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Is that true? Right? Because let's be honest, sometimes we struggle telling people everything about us, don't we? Because when we tell everything about us, they might find out something that we don't want them to know, that we don't like. And so God knows how you are doing, okay? He knows when you're tired, amen? And he knows where you are headed, what your future looks like. So search me, O Lord. That's what he, David says, search me. He knows because you know who I am more than I know who I am, okay? And then he goes on to say, perceive, you perceive my thoughts from afar, okay? I think this is where, um, I think this is probably where God has to get out the hammer and the chisel for a lot of us. You perceive my thoughts from afar because our thoughts, our thoughts is where we get in trouble a lot of times, Right? And God, as God is shaping us and he's forming us into the follower that he's called us to be, the thoughts that we have about ourselves, they can be pretty damaging, can't they? The thoughts that we have about others can be damaging to our lives. And we have to be purified with some hammering and some chiseling to get that stuff off, to, to, to break it loose and get it out of there, right? Right? 
So he perceives our thoughts from afar. That's not always a bad thing, but I think that that's probably where God has to do a ton of chiseling, right? Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Well, what gets us in trouble more than anything else? Our tongue, the words that we say. And I think this is probably where the paint and the brush come in uh, a lot of times because uh, our tongue gets us into a lot of trouble. It's the thing, it's not really always the things that we say, it's how we say it, right? But really, it's the things we say, yeah. And, and so, he, when, as, as God is making us into the follower that he's called us to be, God is using that brush and the paint to be sure that our heart and our tongue are in step with each other. Because out of the overflow of our heart is where the mouth speaks. And if our heart is full of the right things, meaning the spirit and the grace and the truth of God, then that is what's going to come out. And if he's perceiving our thoughts from afar and he's controlling um, our tongue from, then, then we should be in good, good shape, right? But they got to balance out, though. And that's how God is shaping us into the person and the disciple that he wants us to be. And so um, the things that we say, they can, they can hurt, right? They can hurt others. They can hurt us. And so he, he knows the words completely, and he needs to be able to shape those words. And our words need that gentle and passionate approach as not to wreck the image that we are made in. Because we can do so much damage with our words to God, whose image that we are made in, that it, it takes so much time to repair, Right? Actions are more forgivable than words, aren't they? It's just easier to forgive an act than it is to forgive a word. Because words are not tangible, and we chew on them, and we reflect on them, and how they're said and what they're meant way more than <clears throat> the actual action that happened. And that's why they're so hard and why they're so important. Where can I go from your spirit, David asks? Where? Where? David knew this, one thing, God was with him. He asked this question, and it's rhetorical most likely, because he knew there's nowhere I can go from your spirit. If you know God, the, the, the timeline of David's life, God was with him from the very beginning, okay? There, there was nowhere that, God, that David could go that uh, God was not there, and David had been in some pretty rough spots in his life, okay? There was the whole David, the Goliath thing, sure, okay? That was a pretty tight spot. But for a while, David had a price on his head, okay? Because he, as a little boy, where God was with him, was anointed as the next king of Israel. God's choice. He was God's choice. So God was with him. And as he grew up, he killed Goliath, and Saul really liked him, and he found out that that was God's choice for king, and so there was a price on David's head, and he spent a, lot, a time of his life on the run, tight spot, but God was with him, right? He had fought in many battles in his life. He had faced a lion and a bear 
with nothing but a stick, right? They call it a staff. It makes it sound a little tough. It's a stick, yeah, and a slingshot, okay, which none of us really know how to work, okay? That's why we have guns now, okay? So um, God was always there. He'd, he'd been, he's the king now and had been in many battles and been so successful, and the nation of Israel had grown and grown under David because God was with him. And of course, the, this also meant that the hammer and the chisel had to come out. Because there was a time, there was, there was uh, when God, uh, you know, there, God was there when David failed as well. It wasn't always just the highlight reel, right? The good things that David did. There was also the time when David was supposed to be out on the battlefield, but he wasn't. He was at home, and he happened to look out on the roof, and there's Bathsheba, and that's when the chisel has to come out, right? And God is making us into the follower that he's called us to be, and the follower that that he, that he made us in his image, so he's with you too. There's nowhere that we can go that he's not there. So David is saying, hey, where can I go from your spirit? And everybody already knows the answer. Nowhere. Okay? We should always remember that when we get in the car, God's going with you. Okay? Wear your seatbelt still. When you go to work, God's going with you, okay? And that's important today for some of you because sometimes it's hard to go to work in the environment that you work in. Maybe the person, that, that person that you work with, so maybe that's, that's what you need God to be there for, to protect them from you. I don't know, okay? But when you go to work, God is going with you. When you go to school, praise God, God is going with you. Because our kids go to school in a, in a world of hurt sometimes. And God needs to be there to protect each one of them. So this is the only way that we can make it as disciples, as followers of Jesus. This is the only way that we can survive is if God is with us. Ask David, right? So that last verse... <clears throat> that we read, David, finally just sums everything up. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Jesus, David, he just takes a praise break, right, and acknowledges that God is leading him in the way that he should go. And that's our goal, too, that we turn our lives over to God and acknowledge that he is leading us in the way that we should go. Because we are wonderfully made in God's image. There's time for the hammer and there's time for the brush, right? <clears throat> Pretty sure that uh, Mona Lisa would not have the smile that she has if Leonardo had chosen to make her with this, right? Can't use the hammer in a painting, in a chisel, right? And it's just not the right tool for the job, right? 
and pretty sure that Mount Rushmore would just be a really cool painting that would have to be redone over and over again if Borglum would have just painted the faces of the presidents up there. And that would have been impressive too, a huge billboard, right, for all the presidents that are up there. Still, not the right tool for the job that he was trying to accomplish. So there's, there's a time for the paintbrush, there's a time for the, the hammer and the chisel. And the, the paintbrush and the, and the paint, we're all down for that, right? That sounds fun. Okay, that's easy. And everybody like, you go on a work and witness trip, what do you want to do? I want to paint. Let's get, let's get the paintbrush out. Let's get after it. And then after everybody goes home, the people that you painted for have to go back over and paint where everybody else painted because, you know, it doesn't look always great. Not everybody can paint. Um, it's an art, literally. So everybody likes the paintbrush and the paint because that's simple, right? It's there's no harm in a paint, okay? It kind of tickles even a little bit, okay? There's no pain involved. But here's the question. Are you willing to endure the hammer and the chisel? Because I think at this point, we're thinking the same thing. I'd, I'd, I'd rather have the paintbrush. And God can take the paintbrush and the paint and uh, just paint over the cruddy parts of our life, right? Cover them all up and just paint over the top, and that would be way less involved and um, no paint involved. God, just paint over the top over it, and that'll be fine. Thank you. Okay, that's the way we would handle it. Again, but there's two methods to create a masterpiece, right? And I think God... Uh, doesn't want to just cover up our old life with a coat of paint. Because what happens? You always have to repaint. Why do you have to repaint? That stuff just kind of chips away sometimes, and we, we go back to it, and we see what's underneath. And we think that, well, that's okay, right? And so that means that the hammer and the chisel need to come out to knock off the excess to help us release the stuff that we're holding on to. And it means the losing a part of who we were to become who he wants us to be. We've done a deep dive into what it looks like to be disciples of Jesus, right? What it means to be salt. Jesus said, you are salt to preserve and to affect those around us. What it means to be light, Right? And we are a reflection. We've talked about how we are a reflection of God, the God of heaven, the God of creation, whose image that you're made in here on earth, that we are a reflection of him to the whole world, that we are made in him, in his image, and that he is with us, and that we're able to impact our culture by taking the name of Jesus wherever we go. This all started being roaring disciples, where Bob Reiner used this quote about how, um, how Christians are not able to impact our community, our, our culture for Christ, right? Are we able to? Yeah, who speaks for Christians now? You do, because that's who you are. 
you are made in the image of God and a reflection of him and are called to go and be his reflection, to impact the world for him. And we do that by practicing and living out our relationship with Jesus, all while sharing that life and that relationship with others. That is disciples that are making discipleship to heart, just as Jesus did when he was here on the earth. To share your life experiences and to share your Jesus experiences. And let's practice those words that Jesus taught us together. To take all those things that you did because you did them. And let, let God use them. You have a past life that you don't forget about. And that's okay. But there's a way to use that for the grace of God. And he wants to use that. Because you have a story. It's called your testimony. And then you share the Jesus experience. How Jesus took what you were and transformed you into something different. Something better. Created in his image. And we do that together. Sharing that together. With each other in this room in Bible study, whatever the, the small group things look like, but also with those that we come in contact every day, right? So let's practice these words that Jesus taught us together. Let's all stand together and pray as we head out today. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we uh, head into your world we just ask for the courage that it takes to share your love with others. <clears throat> that, that you provide opportunities for us to practice these words that you taught us. That you give us the boldness that it takes as well. Because it's not easy. Father, I just ask that you, you'll help us all to find time to encourage one another. As, uh, as, we, as you bring us up in each other's minds during the week, that we'll learn to text each other, to call each other, to remind them we're praying for each other. As we uh, encounter people at work and at school and at the store and on the roads, wherever the case may be, Father, that we are doing our best to be a disciple that you've called us to be that you're making us into and you're shaping us to be. We're so thankful, Father, that we have the great example that Jesus gave us as he was here on the earth. And Father, we just ask that as we take our past life experiences and we mix them with the Jesus experience that we've had and how he has changed our life, that you will teach us how to better be a disciple that you are making us into being. And then we'll share that with everyone we know. Lord, we just ask that you'll bless the rest of this time. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve our community tonight. We pray that everything will go well. We pray that we have enough help. We pray that someone, one life will be impacted for you because of it. That's all it takes. And we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to do it. Go with us today as we head out to uh, our lives that uh, you will bless them. Uh, help us to have a great week in your name. Amen.
Have a great week. God bless you, and we'll see you hopefully tonight, 4 to 6. If you're planning to be there, you can come about 3.30 to help out, 3 o'clock, be there too, whatever you want to come. All right.